following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am very easily distracted. <laughs> Technology is a good thing, but many of you right now, you're looking at that water swirling around behind the words on the screen. <laughs> And it's uh, very pretty. It's eye-catching. But sometimes it can be distracting. I was thinking about that a minute ago when the little dots were swirling by with the words from the hymns. And uh, I just kind of found myself getting lost in that rather than focusing on the song and the words. So it's easy for us to get distracted from time to time, some more than others. Uh, Sometimes we don't really see the importance of a topic or item, we tend to let our mind wander and uh, fade off into the background and not really focus on what's going on at hand. And sometimes the changes that are going on around us are so slow and gradual uh, that we really don't realize it until it's too late that something extreme has happened. So uh, I know that uh, people get distracted. I know that there's a lot of distractions going on today. There are many, many temptations out in the world today. Uh, like I said, technology is a good thing, but but the cell phone that you use, it can be helpful or it can be harmful depending on uh, your ability to control it or its ability to control you as well. And so that goes for individuals, and I see uh, Christians in general uh, somewhat being distracted from the task at hand, fulfilling the Great Commission, reaching the lost, making disciples, uh, that, that's why a sermon like this morning was so, so important. That just brings people back to the reality. Oh, yeah, I should be doing a daily devotion. I should be spending that quiet time with the Lord. And so distractions come in many, many different shapes and many, many different forms. Uh, I think about, uh, I don't know about you, but, man, a laser I've almost been banned from using a laser pointer at the house because the dogs... I can run them crazy. I can run them up a wall from one side of the room to the other. We don't have cats, but the dogs tend to chase after those. And sometimes I think that as a church, we're kind of like that. We're chasing a little red dot that doesn't mean anything, and we kind of lose sight of the main task at hand. That's why uh, a message like tonight is so, so important. I know the title, The Old Man is Gone, uh, doesn't have anything to do with that, but that is what Paul is leading up to. He's, he's introducing this letter, he's giving an opening to it, and he's kind of setting the stage for what takes place later on in the letter by telling his own testimony and getting them focused on the fact that God has done something significant in his own life. Some of the same things that this church in Galatia or these churches in Galatia were dealing with are the same thing that Paul was delivered from, legalism, Judaism, All of those things that this church is struggling with and teetering on the verge of moving from one side to the other, not really committing or staying focused to the gospel, Paul says, this is what God has done in my life. This is what God has saved me from, and this is the danger that you are heading into. If you will stay focused, God will deliver you from your tradition and your legalism as well. So we opened up the introduction of the book last week. I kind of gave you some historical background of the churches in the area uh, several different possibilities on whether it was the northern churches or the southern churches that he was writing to specifically. Uh, we concluded that this happened on the, uh, Paul came to this church and planted this church on his second missionary journey. 
So the writing of this particular letter could not have happened any earlier than A.D. 49. So tonight I want to look at uh, the Apostle Paul as he gets deeper and deeper into his testimony and how he is relating his testimony and setting the stage for some practical application later on in the letter. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, he spends a lot of time talking about what he has been delivered from. That sets the stage for chapters 3 and 4, and then 5 and 6 actually come into the practical application of his letter. So as I was reading through this uh, passage, I was looking at Paul's testimony, uh, what happened after his conversion, uh, what God had separated him for, and what God has saved him from. I began thinking about what he was trying to do with this church, how he was trying to teach them the importance of doctrine, um, getting away from tradition, and staying focused on the true gospel. And I thought about churches uh, these days. A lot of churches didn't make it through the pandemic. They they weren't focused on uh, getting the main thing accomplished during that time. Many of them have closed the doors and will not open anymore. Uh, but as I think about this church and the history of this church, I, I'm going to share some more about that here in a little bit. And I began thinking about the future of this church and churches in this area and churches that are really, really committed to the Great Commission and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I began asking this question. This is on your outline. How can a New Testament church stay on track when surrounded by an eroding culture? As this culture gets worse and worse, as our generation begins slipping further and further away, as church attendance is in sharp decline, as in baptisms are in sharp decline on an annual basis, as the world around us seems to be getting darker and darker, how can we as a New Testament church stay on track with what God has called us here to do? It applies not only to a church, but it also applies to an individual life as well. As a Christian, how can I survive in this world? How can I make it? How can I stay on track with where God wants me to be? I look around you right now, and is, how many young people do you see in attendance here tonight? How many young people did you see this morning? And this, our church is not the only case of that. It is a trend nationwide that the age, the median age of our churches is going up and up and up, and the young people are going further and further away because they have not been taught the proper doctrine and the Christian tenets of our faith. So how do we survive? How do we prevent that? How do we keep from eroding with the rest of this world around us? I'm going to look at several things tonight, four in specific, that you can see from this passage. Let's read through the passage, and then we'll unpack it. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Actually, we're going to begin in verse 10. I know your outline says verse 11. No, it says 10. I'll put that on there. So let's begin in verse 10. For, I, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you like to keep up with particular words, that word revelation or reveal is used several times in chapters 1 and 2. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure 
and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with the flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw one of the other apostles, uh, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was known by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So Paul is not necessarily telling his testimony here. That's not the purpose of this. But he's giving his background to let this church know the same thing that God has saved me from. Even as far into Judaism as I am, God delivered me from that. And he saved me from the legalistic ways and the traditional ways. He can do the same thing for you as well. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when I introduced this book, there, there was somewhat of a specific motive for preaching this book. I think it has a lot to do with us sharing our faith with other denominations and other religions in this area that may be captured by false teachings or traditions or doctrines that don't line up with the word of God. I think there's a lot we can draw out of this particular book and what Paul is teaching the churches at Galatia about staying true to the gospel and what God has saved him from. So a church, how can a New Testament church stay on track when it's surrounded by an eroding culture? Number one, and I think Paul tells this in his testimony. I think this applies to churches then and churches now as well. Remain concise with your calling. What has God called you to do? And what has God called us as a church to do as well? Verse 11, Paul says, I make known to you. In other words, he's saying, I want you to know, brethren, First of all, he makes it clear who he's writing to. And also he grabs their attention by saying this. Let me be perfectly clear on this one thing. He says, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And we're going to talk some more about this in a little bit. Paul was not indoctrinated by the apostles. The apostles didn't have anything to do with him for how long? For three whole years. It was three whole years before he made contact with any of the apostles. So what Paul is saying here is this message that I'm giving to you is completely supernatural. It was revealed to me by Jesus Christ himself. He goes into his testimony by taking uh, the fact that he neither received it by man. He wasn't taught it. But it was through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I want to be perfectly clear on this one thing. What I am preaching to you, God told me it was inspired. His Holy Spirit spoke to me. And that's the only message that I am bringing to you as a church. 
So I asked this question to myself when I looked at this. As I looked at the future of our church, um, what is it that's going to draw people to a church? What is it that you look for when you maybe go to another town, you're wanting to visit a church, you're wanting to find a place of worship? What is the one thing that you look for? Do you go to the website? Do you check out their doctrine? Do you see what their mission statement is? Do you drive by the church and see how many cars are there? Do you see how well the place is kept up? What is it that draws you to a church when you're in another city? And what is it that's going to draw people to our church here? First of all, it depends on what they're looking for. If they're looking for someone who will justify their lifestyle, they're going to look for a church with a sugar-coated, watered-down prosperity gospel. They're going to look for a church that doesn't preach the truth. They're going to look for a church that won't convict them of the lifestyle that they're living. And that's the way that we're headed Unfortunately, in our culture right now, you see more and more churches. Man, there are packed houses. They're drawing people by the droves. Why is that? Because they're not preaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're telling people exactly what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul gives that specific warning about what people are going to want to hear in the latter times. You can either write down this verse or you can follow along with me. It's not, but just a few pages away from where we're at. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Paul says this specifically. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're going to talk specifically about doctrine here in just a little bit. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Boy, that sounds just like what's going on today, don't it? That sounds exactly like what's going on today. He said, they'll also be turned aside to fables. But you, he's talking to Timothy here. He says, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. What is he saying? He's saying remain concise in your calling. What have you been called to? Preach the true gospel. So number one, what, what's going to draw people to church? First of all, it depends on what they're looking for. And second of all, if they're seeking the truth, they will be drawn to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul points out specifically that this was not given to him by man but it came through a revelation. So that word is used several times here in chapters one and two. And in the Greek, uh, the word reveal or revelation is the word apocalypsis or apocalypto. Uh, What is revealed or um, a disclosure of something. So let me ask you this. What led you to your revelation moment in your life? What led you to your calling? What led you to be at this church at this time? What led you to be a Baptist? What led you to be a Southern Baptist? What are some things that led to a revelation moment perhaps in your life where that light went off and you said, I see now what I've been missing out on. 
I see now the true doctrine that is going to lead me to a salvation experience. I just, I love to hear the testimonies of people, and I'm starting to hear that more and more often around here. I love to hear the testimonies of people who were simply saved by reading the Word of God on their own. Isn't it amazing what you'll do, uh, what happens in your life when you start reading the Word of God on your own? When you start asking God to reveal to you, look, give me some truth out of your Word. What have I been missing out on? What do I need to be doing differently? What is the calling in my life? God, would you please illuminate that in my mind through your word? I've heard so many people around here say, you know what? I was buffaloed for many, many years. I was fooled. I was taught the wrong things. I was told to not get into the word of God. But it, was an, it wasn't until I got into the word of God on my own that he really revealed to me what I needed to do and what the truth of the matter was. Son, let me tell you what, the word of God will set you free. (laughs) It'll deliver you from many different things in your life. The book of Jeremiah, we shared that this morning, chapter 29. You will seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. That's making your calling concise. It's when you seek the Lord on your own and you ask him, Lord, what is the calling for my life? Hebrews eleven six. I use this all the time. It says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you want to remain concise in your calling, ask God to reveal to you through his word what it is that you've been missing out on and what it is that you need to be doing. Look, I, I want to make one thing perfectly clear here. Paul is leading into what his true calling is. He's saying, not only did God reveal to me the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he revealed my calling to me. He he goes in here just a minute ago. I was one of the worst ones. I was zealous for persecuting the church. He said, that was not my calling. He said, now I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm planting churches. I'm preaching the true gospel. And people are getting saved. So let me, let me make one thing perfectly clear. I know I've shared this with several of you one-on-one. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it in the serpent before, but don't call me preacher. <laughs> I don't get offended by that. That is one thing I do. That is one thing I love to do. But that is not what God called me to do. He called me to be your pastor. There's a difference between a pastor and just a preacher. There's a difference between a pastor and an evangelist. Evangelist can poke you in the eye and run. <laughs> he, he can say something that's offensive, maybe something that's con- convicting, and then he don't have to deal with it. Guess what? I have to deal with it then. But God has called me to be your pastor. And when you call me a preacher, I, I don't take offense to that, but I'm going to correct you. I'm going to say, look, God didn't call me to be your preacher. He called me to be your pastor. Because the pastor is going to be there with you during the tough times. He's going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. He's going to preach the word of God. That's one of the aspects of of my duty here as a pastor. God didn't call me here just to be a preacher. I love to preach. I love to prepare. I love to bring these messages. But I also love to be your pastor as well. I love to be there for you through the tough times. I love to be here at this church and see it grow and see people catch on to what God is wanting to do in their lives. And Paul is making it perfectly clear 
He's making it concise what his calling was. He's making it clear who he was in the past and what God has called him to be as well and what God has called him to do. Next, I want you to see this. I want you to see not only for a church, a New Testament church to stay on track by remaining concise to their calling, also be true to your testimony. The, the entire New Testament is composed of the life of Jesus Christ. It talks about the birth of the New Testament church, and it talks specifically about the work of the Apostle Paul. That are the, that's the main three things that the New Testament is composed of. Here we get one of the longest overviews of Paul's complete testimony. But this account of his conversion has a specific reason. In our study of the book of Acts, he stood before several people and he's given his entire testimony verbatim, word for word, step by step. But just as a general overview in all of his letters, this is the place where you see his testimony spoken of the longest. And right here it has a very, very specific purpose. Chapters 1 and 2 set the stage for what he teaches in chapter 3 and 4. And then chapters 3 and 4 lead to the practical and ethical outcome and application that we see in chapters 5 and 6. But here he literally takes his Jewish pedigree and he makes a distinct contrast between who he was and who he is now. His testimony has a specific purpose right here. And in Philippians chapter 3, uh, it lists basically this same thing that he's talking about here in Galatians. Talks about his pedigree, talks about who he was, talks about all of his Jewish background. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to find it here in just a little bit. Uh, beginning in verse 5. Uh, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is by the law blameless. But then he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but what things were gained to me these things I counted loss for Christ. And he basically summarizes the same thing here in Galatians as he gives his testimony. He literally takes his Jewish pedigree and makes a distinct contrast between who he was and who he is now. And if you think about the way this entire letter, the letter of Galatians, was written, it was written to prevent Judaism legalism, and tradition as it began to creep in in this early church. After he lists his qualifications as a Judaizer here in Galatians, he then breaks his Christian life down into three distinct stages. Chapter 15, uh, verse 15, just the first part, he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, that's his separation. That's his calling. God has set him apart. He's separated him. In 15b, it talks about his salvation experience. Uh, he has called me through his grace. And that's the way it is for each and every one of us. It's only by the grace of God that he has saved us 
and delivered us from our sinful background and he set us free from all the things that once held us in bondage. And then in verse 16 all the way through verse 24, he talks about the entire sanctification process that he has gone through. He says he's revealed his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, I didn't immediately confer with the flesh or blood, but I did go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles. He said, it was after three years, this entire process as God was teaching me, training me, preparing me to preach the gospel. He said, it was then and only then that I went up to Jerusalem and I met with Peter and James. He talks about everything that God did before he sent him out in the mission field, preparing him and sanctifying him and getting him ready for that. So verse 15 is very, very reminiscent of Jeremiah's testimony. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordered you a prophet to the nations. Paul uses basically that same wording right here in verse 15. He says, but it, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and he called me through his grace. You see, Paul doesn't try to hide his past, but instead he uses it as a backdrop for who he is now and what he's been delivered from. He also uses it as an example to show the Galatian churches that they too can be delivered from legalism, tradition, and false teaching. And as we go out and as we witness in our communities, we go out and we tell others about the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we use our testimony as a backdrop to set others free as well. What God has delivered me from, what God has called me to do, and the truth that he has revealed to me, that's what he wants to share with others as well. Perhaps you didn't respond to your calling until late in life. The same grace that saved the Apostle Paul and called him in his adult years still applies to you as well. Be true to your testimony. Be true to your testimony as a church too. God has brought this church through specific things in his past brought it to where it is now. I think in some ways it's made it a stronger church. In your life, God will bring you through some trials and some tribulations to make you even stronger. And you can point to those times in your life and you say, you know, if I hadn't had Jesus Christ in my life, I would have never made it through that. And I think in essence, that's what the apostle Paul is doing. He say, look, I went through all of this stuff, these bad times in my life. God called me out of the womb. He set me apart. But yet as an adult, I, I denied that calling. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I was led astray. I was taught false. I, I persecuted the church. I did some horrible things. But you know what? The grace of God forgave me of all of those vicious acts that I committed. And the grace of God delivered me out of the darkness that I was in. And now he's using me to preach the gospel everywhere I go. Be true to your testimony. Don't be ashamed to show people that what you used to be is not what you are now. People love a great story. They especially love the story about someone's life. Hey, you are a living, breathing, walking billboard that God can set people free 
he can turn lives around and his grace is truly amazing. So be true to your testimony. Next thing I want you to see is not just to remain concise with your calling, not just to be true with your testimony, but be determined in your doctrine. Be determined in your doctrine. Not just dogmatic, but bulldogmatic. <laughs> Don't venture away from it. Don't stray from the doctrines. Look, that's one of the things I love about this Gospel Project Sunday School curriculum that we're going through. It's going through all of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And the Apostle Paul here in verse 18, he says, after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. He says it wasn't doctrine that saved him. He didn't learn the doctrines until he went up to Jerusalem and met with these guys. God supernaturally showed him and revealed to him what he needed to be preaching. But it wasn't until later on that he learned about the doctrines that they began putting together and teaching. Where did this gospel that Paul is preaching come from? This is another thing that he makes perfectly clear in this passage here in the book of Galatians. He, he didn't see another apostle for three whole years. So he wasn't under their teaching. He wasn't under their influence initially. Therefore, his doctrine and his message had to be divinely and supernaturally given to him. That When that light shone on him on the road to Damascus, whenever the Lord spoke to him right there on the Damascus road and transformed his life, I think right then and there, everything that Paul needed was supernaturally revealed to him and given to him. That's why he's specifying here, look, I didn't meet the true apostles, the original apostles, until three years after my conversion. Therefore, his doctrine and his message had to be divinely and supernaturally given him. It didn't derive from his Jewish background either. You see, the Jews, they didn't accept Jesus Christ as a true Messiah. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, it says that he came unto his own, his own received him not. But it also says that as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look, this... This was not given to me by some man. It wasn't taught to me in catechism or some church. But this was supernaturally revealed to me. And that's the message in the gospel that I want to bring to you as well. What about you? Are, are you grounded in your doctrine? One of the telltale signs of the overall erosion of the true Christian church is the turning away from the basic tenets and fundamental doctrines of Christianity. This gospel project that we're going through, all 95 of the doctrines in some way, shape, or form in a three-year period, uh, we're going to cover those in each and every one of the lessons. Sometimes you'll cover multiple doctrines. This, this is what sparked the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of Wittenberg Castle in 1517. He ignited a fire that would transform religious teachings of that day and set into motion a radical change in the church as we know it today. What about us? Are we securely grounded on our doctrines? How familiar are you with what you believe? How well do you understand our church covenant? 
How well do you understand the Baptist Faith and Message 2000? That is all of our main teachings and our doctrines. So we think about end times, as we think about people having itching ears, as we think about churches giving way to an eroding culture. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He said this, he said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and deceive not just the common person, he said, he will deceive even the very elect. He says, in the end times, when false Christ and false prophets arise, even those who think they're firmly grounded in their doctrine, they're going to be deceived. Don't tell me that doctrine doesn't matter. Doctrine does matter and it is very, very important. The next thing I want you to see in this passage that Paul is talking about, he's trying to tell you where he came from, who he is now. He's trying to set the stage for this church that is battling against false teaching, false doctrine, Judaism, tradition, everything else you can think of. They are battling it. As an early church, they're giving way to it. Paul is shaping up and framing up what he's going to teach them by telling his own testimony and what God has delivered him from. He's telling them about his past, but you know what? Paul never denies anything about his past. If you'll notice that, if you'll read this passage very, very closely, never does he deny any of those facts about his past. He owns up to it, but he's at peace with it as well. And so for you in your life, sharing your testimony, dealing with your past, be at peace with your past. Point number four, be at peace with your past. You, you may have made some bad decisions in your early years. You, you may have um, resisted the calling that God has placed on your life. It may have taken you a while to catch on and truly see what the revelation of God is all about. But your past, don't deny it. God, God has allowed that to happen for a reason. He has brought you through those things for a reason. Even as a church, be at peace with your past. Don't go back to it, but learn from it. And you can look at it now. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Now that you are through those times, you understand what they were for and what God brought you through them for. And I think Paul is saying right here, look, I'm going to use my past as an example. I'm going to use my past as something to show you here's why you need to avoid these things that you're in danger of encroaching on. But he is at peace with everything that has taken place in his past. Overall, Paul does not shy away from it. As a matter of fact, he uses it more here in the opening of Galatians as a tool to reveal to these churches that it is possible to remain true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when legalism and false teaching is prevalent. He makes the case that his life is one of being changed from tradition to transformation, from religion to a relationship, from legalism to a redeemed life. His life is one that's been changed from Judaism to Jesus Christ, from heresy to heaven, from a mess to a messenger, from a persecutor to a preacher, from an apostate to an apostle. 
Basically, Paul begins this letter by saying, the old Paul exists no more. The old man is gone. I'm now a walking new life. I found a new freedom. And he's saying that new life and that new freedom that I found, you can find it as well. Don't let these false teachers drift in and persuade you and pull you away from the true gospel. So one of the things that I remember from three years ago uh, as I began talking with the uh, pastor search committee here at this church, they didn't shy away from the past. They didn't try to cover anything up. They didn't try to hide anything. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they sent me was a complete historical document of everything that this church has been through, everything that this church has been a part of. I think that's one of the greatest things that they could have done for me during that time. It gave me a historical timeline and a background. I got to see the good, the bad, the ugly, yet it let me know that there was nothing to hide nothing to cover up, no past events that had any control over the future destination of this church and my ministry here at this church. So the past events in your life, they have absolutely no control over your future destination and what God wants to use you for either. We know what the future holds We know who holds the future as well. God is for us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? I think that's some of the things that Paul's trying to relay here in the early stages of this letter to the churches at Galatia. Be at peace with your past. Be at peace with who you are. Be at peace with what God has brought you through. However, even through all this, we must... Stay on track with the gospel message and continue to fulfill the Great Commission. Here's a warning that D.L. Moody gives at the end of your outline. Uh, I usually read these because the people that are tuning in through social media or live stream, they they normally don't get to see this part of it. They see just the outline part of it. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, some people tell us it does not make any difference what a man believes if he is only sincere. One church is just as good as another if you are only sincere. I do not believe any greater delusion ever came out of the pit of hell than that. What do you believe? What is it that keeps you going as a Christian and what is it that's going to keep us going as a New Testament church, here in a time when our culture is rapidly eroding. We can't stake our future on what happened in the past. The old man is gone, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, learn from the past. Keep your eyes on the future. Don't venture off in those areas that you're being tempted in, but stay focused on the task at hand. Understand what the true gospel is. Be secure in your doctrines. That way you'll be able to tell the false teachers and the false prophets and the false Christ from what really needs to be focused on. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thanking you so much for this clear warning that you give us. 
Lord, there's so much to learn from here in the book of Galatians. There's so much to learn from, from the life of the Apostle Paul. There's so much to learn in your word, Lord God. I'm hoping that we'll continue discovering fresh and new things in your word. And as we uh, continue to move forward, Lord God, as we want to uh, survive here in a uh, culture that is growing darker by the minute, Lord, uh, we know what the true light is. We know where the true light comes from. And we know, Lord God, what the truth of the gospel is. So I just pray, Lord God, as we continue to learn how to hear from you, Lord, my hope and my prayer is that that will make us a stronger church than ever before. And I'm humbled, Lord God, that you've called me here during this time, Lord God. I know that you have for a specific reason for such a time as this. And I pray that you'll continue raising up uh, some younger generation, Lord God, here in this area and in this church to be involved. I pray, Lord God, that you would raise up some uh, some husbands and some fathers who are on fire for the Lord uh, that want to teach their children the truth of the gospel. I pray that you'll raise up some moms uh, that will lovingly pray over their family. Some of them will be the anchor of their family. And as we continue to see new faces here at this church, Lord God, I just pray that they would find a place to get plugged in, that they will know that there is a place here for them. And, Lord, I pray for these that are remaining here faithful day in and day out, Lord God, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but I see them here every day of the week. Lord, I I believe that they want to see the best days of this church, and I believe that those best days are just right around the corner for us. So I pray for this remnant that is here, Lord God, that you would teach us how to make disciples, that you would continue to inspire us to go out and share the gospel with others, Lord God to be role models for these younger Christians, Lord God, for these that may not know all the doctrines that we believe in and that we teach. I pray for our Sunday school program to grow stronger, Lord God, that you'll raise up teachers for our Sunday school classes, that we can open up more Sunday school classes that will adapt to uh, younger families, younger couples, college and career, whatever the case may be, Lord. Well, Lord, we, we want to put ourselves... Uh, in a position, Lord God, will we be successful in the future? Not just for our sake, but for our family's sake, for your kingdom's sake. I pray, Lord God, that the, the music department, the choir would grow stronger, that our worship time would be sweet and stronger. And I just pray, Lord God, that you'll keep us focused on what really matters the most reaching the lost, and making disciples. Lord, help us to learn from the past to prevent those mistakes that have been made. Help us to keep our eyes on the future, Lord God. Help us to keep focused. Help us to not be distracted by things that are going on in the background, but to keep the main thing the main thing. We just pray for a good week, Lord God. I just pray that we would go out and win souls. I pray, Lord God, for Sunday morning coming up that many will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you'll help us to find uh, ways to reach our community, Lord God, to be the salt and to be the light that you've called us to be. And I pray, Lord God, that as many others come into this congregation, Lord God, that you would truly reveal to them the depth of your love and the depth of your mercy and the extent of your grace. 
and that you'll draw those to yourself, Lord God, that you've chosen to save. And we just ask it all in the most precious and mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Oregon City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.